Between the jangle of bridles, stirrups, rifles, lenses, tripods, thermoses, and myriad other metal objects, and the clop, clop, clop of the horse's hooves picking their way among the boulders, we sounded like a convention of junk dealers on parade. And yet we managed, on occasion, to get within shooting range of a herd of sheep. There are several ways to make the approach. The Shah's favorite is to gallop straight to the game, chasing after it at breakneck speed through the mountains, unmindful of rocks, ravines, cliffs, and pulleys, until he is within rifle range, and then either to leap from his horse to fire, or, if there isn't time, to fire from the saddle. The leaping is interesting, because instead of dismounting in the conventional fashion, he throws his left leg forward and over the horse's neck, so he slides to the ground, already in shooting position. The amazing fact is that he usually hits his target. In 1962, Sports Illustrated sent writer Virginia Kraft to go hunting with His Imperial Majesty Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, the Shah of Iran. She wrote a 4,500-word feature for the magazine on the royal splendor of the Shah, juxtaposed against the bleak canyons and dense jungles near the Summer Palace in Shemaran. A story like that needs images. Capturing the harsh landscapes, breakneck chases, and sumptuous royal feasts was too much for 1960s cameras. Instead of a photographer, Sports Illustrated sent illustrator Bob Peake, who later told his son of his adventures. So he went on assignment, and they have certain customs. One of the customs that he had a tough time with was after they shot one of the animals, they would have to immediately drink a thing of their blood. And my dad said, I would, so that I wouldn't insult the Shaw and his people, what I would do is I would drink the blood and then I'd go around behind a bush and throw it up. He said he would ride with them. He would, you know, draw very loose drawings. Some of the drawings are very loose, very interesting. I look at now what they do in uh, Sports Illustrated or other periodicals as well, and I think, gee, this almost doesn't exist anymore. Bob Peake's illustrations are gorgeous. Strong lines, striking color, and careful layout capture more than a camera ever could. Each drawing is an amalgamation of hundreds of smaller moments, distilled into one perfect scene that shows a vision truer than one moment can hold. Illustration expresses something no camera can capture, the entirety of sport in a single frame. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swardak. Sports illustration has been around as long as organized sports have. Before pencils and paper, there were charcoals and woodcuts. Before that, there were paintings of Olympians on Grecian urns. But it was a need for another type of illustration that spread the medium. It really took off at the time of the American Civil War because there was a great need for imagery. That's Tom LaPagula, illustrator and teacher at the Pratt Institute. Photography was present, but photography was cumbersome. It was in its infancy. Illustration, they could sweep the battlefield with one turn of their head and encompass this, this tremendous sweeping drawing of all these soldiers running up the hill, let's say, at Fredericksburg. With that, with the Civil War ending, you had a lot of periodicals and a lot of newspapers. The nation was hungry for images from the front, but soldiers did more than just fight. The war spread a fledgling game called baseball across the U.S., which became a sport of choice in the Union and Confederate camps. 
Baseball shows up in in some of the Civil War drawings. Uh, I think Homer, if I'm not mistaken, Winslow Homer did one. There's the famous one of them of them playing. Uh, I think it's a full broadsheet. They got the diamond out. Uh, soldiers are standing on the sidelines uh, or the foul lines, I guess you could say, watching. No one gets clocked with the ball. Along with battlefield tableaus, eager readers learned about their new pastime from the papers. But what ended up in print didn't always look like what was drawn on the field. In order for that drawing to get into the paper, what happened again, we, we have the artist, he's at, let's say, Gettysburg, he's drawing, he sends it back. Once they got back to New York, they went down to the engraving department. The way this was done, let's just say it's a full sheet. They would get blocks of basswood and cut them so they were in 12 pieces. They were all put together, held down with the vise, they were blackened, and then someone took the artist drawing, held it in his hand, and redrew what he saw on these pieces of block wood. Once it was redrawn on these blocks, they were separated and they were given out, each individually, to an engraver. The engraver would engrave only his little, let's say, four by six block. He would stop about a quarter of an inch around the edge and leave that blank. And then what would happen is those blocks were then put back together clamped together and the master engraver would literally connect one line or one block to the other block so it would appear to be seamless. You still, when you looked at these illustrations in the, in the periodic, periodicals, you could still see where the one block ended and one began, but this was the best reproduction they had at, at that time. And then once he connected everything together, the master engraver, it was inked and put in the paper. So you can imagine that the artist who did this drawing probably by the end of the day wasn't gonna be very happy with what his drawing looked like. The process was limited in other ways too. There was no color and the papers couldn't produce halftone or shades of gray. So all images had to be line drawings. As the new century dawned, reproduction became more faithful and kicked off an illustration bonanza. Right as America was discovering its love for organized sports. Once they were able to depict halftone, illustrators just started to paint in black and white. When you had people like J.C. Leyendecker and his brother, who were doing these fantastic, you know, paintings, this, you know, like a one-on-one -on -one of a, a halfback trying to go around the end when somebody's got him around the waist and he's just about to drive a shoulder into him. You, have, you see a lot of that, what I would call... Sports for boys, you know, young kids look at this and they say, oh, when I grow up, I want to I want to go to Princeton and I they had the football team and I want to, you know, I want to I want to play halfback for, for the Princeton, the Princeton Tigers. You begin to see now in the 30s pulp magazines, which are geared towards specific genres, one of them sports. Uh, they had ones on sports, they had ones just on baseball, they had ones on just football, they had one on every kind of sport you can imagine. The cover was lavishly illustrated in color and inside the interiors they were generally line drawings. Newspapers at this time too started to have sports pages with what they call sports cartoons but really they were really really great drawings. The early part of the 20th century featured a myriad of magazines focusing on young people who wanted to know everything about their favorite sports. Fans could look through a magazine rack and find sports, 
New Sports, Dime Sports, Popular Sports, Thrilling Sports, Ace Sports, Best Sports, The All-American Sports Magazine, Physical Culture, Baseball Magazine, The Young Athletes Weekly, Golfers Magazine, The American Golfer, The Ring, and that's not even considering other publications, like Collier's and the Saturday Evening Post. Just as often as their covers depicted great sports heroes of the age, they featured normal, everyday people playing sports. Readers could imagine themselves in the drawings. The big thing that illustration did for people, I guess, in this period was it gave them the ability, one, to aspire to something. I mean, every kid wanted, at least when I was a kid, every kid wanted to be a baseball player. We all wanted to grow up, well, you know, for you in the Bronx, you wanted to be a Yankee. Uh, but it, it, gave, it gave people the, the impression that uh, there was hope. There was a way to be uh, better than you were. Uh, think of it this way. The Coca-Cola Santa, whenever you see that Coca-Cola Santa, it reminds you of Christmas. It reminds you of that jolly old elf. He's got a little mischief in his eye. He, that, that painted Santa Claus is better than any person in a Santa Claus suit ever and ever will be. The boys' magazines of the 30s and 40s gave way to a different style of magazine after World War II. Once the war came and went, um, illustration and magazine illustration, especially sport illustration, changed a bit. It became more realistic. It became more of a narrative. It became, uh, you don't necessarily have to paint in oils. Oils was considered, uh, you know, old. It was considered passe. A lot of people worked with gouache. Uh, which is basically opaque watercolor. Some people worked with watercolor. Some people worked with dyed inks. So there was a lot of a lot of change of mediums that the artists work with, as well as the way the art was presented. And to be fair, that all happened because of Sports Illustrated. I, I feel like I have to break in here to say, I didn't prompt him for this plug. This is all Tom LaPagula on this one. They weren't necessarily interested in you know, depicting the 1950 World Series and, and, and Mickey Mantle swinging a bat for a home run. What they decided to do was do a narrative. So they would do the 1950 series by, let's say, what took place in, 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 the, in the clubhouse, how ball players prepared for their game. Sports Illustrated would just let art go full page, double page, three pages, gatefold, and they gave illustrators great latitude, great assignments. They would fly them here, fly them there. They changed the way magazine illustration, at least sport magazine illustration, was done. And that was Dick Gangle, who uh, was the art director of that magazine. He was the only art director of that magazine, I believe, for 25, I could be wrong, 25 plus years. That brings us back to the beginning and Bob Peake's trip to Iran. Peake was flown out to the Middle East for a month because SI's art director, Dick Gangle decided the story would be best told through illustration. My dad uh, worked quite extensively with Richard Gangle from Sports Illustrated, or as they say, Dick Gangle. That's Tom Peake, son of Bob Peake and author of the book, The Art of Bob Peake. My father, you know, he was doing a lot of advertising work uh, for Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up, I mean, Dobbs hats, and very colorful, very vibrant, a lot of movement. And I think that's where he started to get calls, his agent, Harvey Kahn, started to get calls for doing work for sporting events, a lot of it through Sports Illustrated and other magazines as well. You might know Bob Peake's work from something else. Some call him the father of the modern movie poster. His designs for West Side Story, My Fair Lady, 
Superman, Apocalypse Now, and others created a template for posters that movies like Star Wars still use today. Peak style was made for sports because the bold colors and lines imply motion even in a still image. He understood with sports you had to have that action, you had to have that motion, and he would use like these lines and he used this airbrushing it really shows like the piece is going a million miles an hour when it's really just standing still one thing he had up on a lot of other illustrators of his time and even today is his understanding of designing a piece so that it really pops on the page design can even make tiny illustrations convey motion and emotion After his success with SI, Bob Peake was commissioned by the U.S. Postal Service to make stamps for the 1984 Olympics. And that meant a small canvas on which to work. Now, my father worked large, okay? When he did his drawings, even preliminaries, they could be 20 by 30. Well, he found out with the stamps that the finished pieces had to be 5 by 7 inches, and he couldn't believe it. So my dad realized in order to do the stamp small, he had to kind of get involved in, you know, doing more of a graphic image. So he decided to do with this, this thing with these lines. So if you look at all the stamps, there's certain lines that go either horizontally or top right to bottom left. The, the person is actually standing still. But by incorporating the lines, either coming you know, out of them or in the background, that gives you motion. Sometimes the lines imply a background, like the diagonal lines serving as the ropes in his boxing stamp. Other times, the lines continue the motion expected from the athlete like the graceful curve over the bar for the pole vault. For many of his sports pieces, Peek would meet with the athletes and would photograph and sketch them before making his final works. Sometimes he'd learn some small detail that would really help him capture something special in his drawings. My dad did the work for the 1965 World Series with the Dodgers and the Minnesota Twins. He said, you know, I flew with the Dodgers and I sat next to Sandy Koufax and Walter Austin. And uh, he said Koufax would show me um, how he throws the ball, but he goes, what's amazing is a lot of these pitchers, Koufax and Don Drysdale, he said, what makes them so good is not just their ability, but he goes, Koufax's hands, his fingers were so long they could wrap all the way around the ball. And he goes, there's a lot of pitchers that he saw that that was the case. They had very long, long fingers and it helped him control the ball. So he said it was really interesting. The idea of actually being, you know, with the team, you know, that's got to be a thrill and a half. I mean, they don't do that as much anymore. They don't send illustrators to travel with teams anymore because it's expensive. Illustration takes time, and time is money. Photography is comparatively cheaper, and there are a larger pool of photographers to pull from. So magazines have been cutting costs by using more photography and less illustration. That doesn't mean illustration's dead. It actually means that it can have a greater impact. Illustrations now have to be bigger than photography. Usually an impact that happens with a photo that to echo that impact in a drawing, it, it really means that you have to kind of move it a bit further. That's Andrew DeGraff, an illustrator who has made covers and interior art for Sports Illustrated, as well as tons of other work. You're just always kind of trying to heighten the gesture a bit. You want a, a little more, you want to exaggerate. And usually in the exaggeration or trying to characterize it, you actually get something that looks closer to the reality of what happened. You're trying to draw it wrong so it looks right, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And illustrators have more options than ever to draw it wrong so that it looks right. 
a mixture of traditional printing and digital techniques can elevate illustration even further. Everything starts out by hand. I tend to do pretty large, pretty finished uh, pencil sketches so that I can really flesh out a couple of ideas that I like. And then I generally take those pencils and sometimes I work directly on top because I do my sketches on good paper uh, with ink. And I'll generally work in one or two or three different colors of ink, which then allows me to easily separate them digitally. And then I build the color, usually digitally, although sometimes I, when I have the time, I do like to just paint them. But I'll take sort of scanned textures and surfaces and basically build it out of colored versions of those textures, generally, so that every layer has a slightly different texture and feel. But it really starts with just a brush and ink. The digital revolution has also tightened deadlines. While Bob Peak had a month in Iran, modern illustrators often have less time like the grafted for his December 18th, 2017 SI cover illustration on NFL injuries. You know, uh, there was just this rash of injuries in the NFL and the sort of concept of, of carnage, sort of like one of those after the battle images, you know, with all of the dead soldiers <laughs> and, and, uh, and wounded people in the aftermath, just a field covered with these injured players. And actually it was going to be in an interior that might end up on the cover, and actually, Carson Wentz got injured that Sunday night. He was going to be actually be on the cover. And then when he got injured, he got added into the il illustration and ended up on the cover that way. <laughs> Working digitally allows illustrators to quickly add to and edit their covers if, say, a star quarterback goes down in the middle of a Super Bowl season. But it's also changing what illustration is at its core. Um, I, I think the future of sports illustration is weirder and more interesting than I can imagine. <laughs> um, I, I do think that the future is, is a lot more animation, a lot more AR. Um, at some point, it could become VR environments done by il illustrators. There's lots of people who are modeling things in 3D. You know, I think there's a lot of places that it can go, and the only thing I can say with assurity is that um, I, I hope it will be something beautiful and weird, and I, and I think it will be. Animated GIFs, augmented reality, and virtual reality will be able to bring drawings to life and put people inside the illustrations. Interact with them. Get more from the story. I think sports and games in general in the course of the game, it's like you, you live a whole life and there's drama and heartbreak and humor. And there's a broader context of every moment in that event is significant. But looking at those older images of the, the, the painters who were really painting those sports, you get a sense of the larger context of what that moment means in the context of, of the game, in the context of that, of that event. Other things that are going on, I mean, you have just so much more of the picture playing you can manipulate to, to really build story. And that's what Sports Illustration has always been about. Telling a full story in a single frame. Special thanks for this episode goes out to Priya Desai, 
Andrew DeGraff, Tom LaPadula, and Tom Peake. If you like the podcast, leave us a rating or review. It'll help put us in front of more people. Or better yet, just tell a friend. You can tweet about the show using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Harry Swartout on Twitter. And as always, for more on sports illustration and to see beautiful sports illustrations in our magazine, log on to SI.com.